If you were to sit down with your younger self, what would you tell her? Would you share some wisdom you've gained over the years or maybe offer some encouragement for a season that you know will bring so much fruit? If I could go back and chat with a younger Chloe, I'd tell her, live in the present moment. I'd remind her that she's a beloved daughter of God, and I'd tell her to start wearing some sunscreen. Hey there, welcome to Letters to Women. It's a podcast where we explore and embrace the feminine genius in our everyday lives as Catholic women. I'm Chloe Langer, and in today's episode, I'm sitting down with Emily Stimson Chapman, who I have followed on Instagram for a long time, so it was a delight to get to chat and laugh with her over a podcast microphone. In this episode, Emily and I are talking about her new book, Letters to Myself from the End of the World. It's a book that Emily wrote to her younger self, equipping her for the challenges that she'd face in a world where the church is plagued by scandal, the culture is on the verge of collapse, and honestly, we don't even know what the word normal means anymore. If you've been longing for encouragement, hope, and a voice of maturity and reason in all of the insanity that was 2020 and is 2021, sister... This letter's for you. This episode of the Letters to Women podcast is sponsored by House of Joppa. I recently went shopping online for my mom, whose birthday's this week, and the first place that I went was House of Joppa. They offer a fresh new take on traditional Catholic home decor, jewelry, and gifts that outwardly show the beauty of our Catholic faith. I ended up buying my mom the Jeremiah 2911 fabric journal. That's her favorite Bible verse that's on the cover. It's this beautiful fabric gray journal with gold foiling and lined paper inside and a gold bookmark, which is perfect for helping you keep your place when your stack of books is inevitably knocked off your coffee table by a little person. At least that's what happens with journals around here. Maybe maybe you can relate. You can visit House of Joppa via the link in the show notes today. And remember, the Letters to Women listeners get 15% off their order at checkout with the code LETTERS15. That's one word, all caps, LETTERS15. Check out the link to House of Joppa in the show notes or visit their website at houseofjoppa.com. Now, let's dive into this conversation with Emily. Today, I am welcoming Emily Stimson Chapman to the Letters to Women podcast. Emily is an award-winning Catholic author of over half a dozen books, including Hope to Die, The Christian Meaning of Death, and The Resurrection of the Body, co-authored with Scott Hahn, The Catholic Table, Finding Joy Where Food and Faith Meet, These Beautiful Bones, and Everyday Theology of the Body, and The Catholic Girl's Survival Guide for the Single Years. She is also the editor of the high school faith formation series Formed in Christ, and the author of numerous studies for the women's ministry in Dow. She lives in Pittsburgh with her husband, Chris, and their three young children. Emily, welcome to Letters to Women. Holy cow, it's such an honor to sit down with you. I'm so glad to be here, Chloe. Thank you so much for having me on. Absolutely. You know, I feel like I could talk to you for hours about prayer and living life fully alive as a Catholic woman and the joys and perils and sleep deprived reality of mothering <laughs> tiny babies. <laughs> I'm so sleep deprived. I might be like, let's just talk about poopy diapers and wine. I don't know. <laughs> hey, I'm there for that conversation too. <laughs> yeah. Right, especially when it's time of night. I get up at four in the morning to write. So by the time we get to time of night, I don't know what's going to come out of my mouth because I'm, I'm like at the end of my, you know, like cognizant period of the day. So it could be interesting. <laughs> I'm right there with you. I had an espresso earlier this afternoon because I'm like, oh man, we're going to see how this goes. Cause I, I say interesting things after seven o'clock too. So this, this will be a fun one to listen to. Yeah, so <laughs> Nobody can take, no, we have no responsibility for what comes None. out of our mouth. None at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I wish I could sit down across an actual dining table instead of a podcast mic and eat good food with you and pour you a gin and tonic over at my place. That would be awesome. Wouldn't that sound delightful? But we are here for a short amount of time while 
fingers crossed, all of our babies are sleeping. And we're going to have a conversation about your brand new book, Letters to Myself from the End of the World. I can't wait to dive into this with you. It is a beautiful book. Thank you so much. Thank you. Before we dive into the book itself, can you start us off by sharing a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Yeah. You know, I was born and raised Catholic, but um, I was catechized in the 1980s, which is not the golden age of catechesis. So um, I'm a really cute Protestant boy in college. I, I really, I didn't know my faith. And he put some questions to me that I couldn't answer and didn't really want to answer because I was way more interested in the boy. And so I drifted off into evangelicalism for uh, six years. And then when I was working in Washington, D.C. in my 20s, I had a coworker from Franciscan University of Steubenville who just I, he was so Catholic, and I found this fascinating because I didn't know Catholics like him existed. And through talking and reading, I found my way back to the Catholic Church. And then after that, I left politics and came to I moved to Steubenville, where I lived until I got married and studied theology there. Um, and then wrote, just became a writer. It sort of wasn't the plan, but it was God's plan for me. And married later in life at 41 and has had adopted three babies over the past three years. So it's been a really, my 40s have been really busy. So this book, Letters to Myself from the End of the World, joins the ranks of many things that were not planned or expected in 2020. Why was this the book that you were supposed to write in the middle of a world pandemic and the world pandemic and everything else that 2020 (laughs) brought us? Because there was a lot. It was a lot. Yeah, you know, I was supposed to write a book about my house renovation. So I've been under contract for since two, 2017 to write this book about our house renovation. But it was with the St. Paul Center and they kept having, well, they had that whole high school series for me. So there's like 11 books they needed me to, to rewrite and edit. And then Scott wanted to do the Hope to Die book. And so finally in 2020, I was like, all right, I'm going to do that house renovation book. And that was the plan for the spring. And then the spring kind of didn't go according to anyone's plans. Um, so I was still trying to write the house renovation book, but I just didn't feel like it was what the world needed. And at the same time, Instagram and Facebook and the news and everybody was losing their minds. Like it was, there was so much anxiety and so much fear and so much confusion and the election was coming up and I had so many things I wanted to say to people, but in a longer form than I could possibly do on social media or in an essay. And so I thought like, what is the best way to try to pass on like how one of the things I've been saying about the book is that we live in a fatherless age. Um, our politicians, a lot of our spiritual leaders who are supposed to be our fathers are not fathering us. Um, they're not being courageous. They're not being loving. They're not providing us with the clarity that we always need. And when you live in a fatherless age, the children go, the children go every which way. <laughs> and so um, it becomes incumbent upon us to, to do the father. We have to become our own mothers and fathers. We have to grow up spiritually. We have to grow up emotionally. We have to grow up relationally um, and be, you know, we have to grow into spiritual maturity. And so that was the struggle that I was seeing everywhere. There was an underlying lack of spiritual maturity and ability to root our response to everything, to pandemics, to elections, to injustice in Jesus Christ and the faith. And so that was what I wanted to convey, but in a way that felt approachable and accessible and relatable. And I decided to try writing letters to myself because you can fit a lot into a letter, but make it as personal and 
you know, warm and loving as you, as I wanted it to be. So that was, that was how the book came about. It's a long answer. There are a lot of topics in this book that are incredibly relatable. I especially loved things like you mentioned the Catholic church, navigating social media, the nitty gritty of interior life, prayer. Why, why these topics, when it came to choosing the ones to write to your 25 year old self about, why, why would those? How I started writing the book was with one sentence. Like I was like getting ready in the bathroom. I was like, what's the one thing I want to say about this? And I'd list off, of course, five things like, be discerning, be yourself, like do this, you know, you are not, don't be a brand. And so I just started making a list of all the the things that I wanted, that if I were writing an Instagram post, they would have been Instagram posts, but I elaborated on them. And then I just was organizing it. So really I was responding to the anger and the confusion and the frustration and the the misunderstandings I was seeing um, on social media, in conversations with friends, with family. Um, yeah, because there's a lot, there's, there's a lot going on in the world over the past year. So I ended up writing about a lot because I was like, I have to say it all. I'm wordy. I'm so wordy. I think we could talk about so many things in our conversation together, but I would really love to touch on a few letters that resonated with me as I was reading them over the past couple of weeks. And I've read your book at 1am when I'm up with my kids. I've read your book in those precious moments of silence in Adoration Chapel. And I loved first your, your section on motherhood. It's absolutely beautiful. You wrote a letter to yourself about a month after bringing Beckett home from Texas. Um, and you found yourself in this tight spot between exhaustion and exhilaration. And I think this is a spot that us mothers are very familiar with. And I love this line that you wrote, as a mother, you can't do any of this work of raising kids without dying to yourself 500 times a day. It might sound easy to you now, Emily, but trust me, these deaths are hard. Few of us will die them well, especially today in a world where so few of us are prepared for this kind of denial. For women, myself included, who are listening and maybe they're in that baby barf splattered trench with you, how do we grow in our ability to deny ourselves and pick up our cross in the season of mothering? And what does that look like in relation to self-care as mothers in our daily lives? Yeah, so there's a couple things. One thing that helps me is something I talk about towards the end of the book, um, the duty of the moment. When we say focused on where we are right now, I have to do this. This is what God is asking of me. My child, you know, this is the duty God has placed before me. And we're not doing it because our child is whining. We're not doing it because we want to impress people on Instagram. We're not doing it because we have this overwhelming fear that if we don't do it, we're going to be failures, but to serve Christ and making everything like, all right, Lord, this is what you've given me. And so I'm doing this for you. That makes it easier. Mm-hmm. Self-care. Uh, I'm not really a person to talk to you about that right now. <laughs> three under three. I don't know. Sleep sounds nice. Uh, I have my baseline. Like I shower and get dressed and do my makeup every day. I take 30 minutes before my husband leaves for school when he's in, when he's a teacher or no matter what, I always put on real clothes. I don't ever wear yoga pants. <laughs> I don't ever not do my makeup. I don't ever not have lipstick on. Um, and that just makes me feel like a more sane, competent human being who can deal with the crazy. If I'm not showered, like you better, you better bring me a <laughs> bottle of gin or something. It's been <laughs> rough day but that's all I have time for I don't know I throw open the windows to let light into the house I make sure I'm communicating my feelings to friends and my husband I think those things those things are sort of keeping me sane but I don't 
I'm remember I'm just a mom with three little kids, so I'm still working out how to do this. Right. Because I don't I had a nervous breakdown on the internet in front of like eighteen thousand people on Monday. So I don't know. I don't know if I'm the best to talk about self care. But I am showered. I am showered. Hey, hey, we we take the win. Take the win. I two things that strike me. This idea of a baseline, the floor, regardless of everything going on, these are the things that will get done. And I love how for you that's showering and real clothes and makeup. And it may be different for other women based on on your day or things that you prioritize and things like that. But that's just really helpful to keep in mind. Here's the here's the baseline. Second, I was watching your Instagram stories earlier this week and I think it's so easy when it comes to people on Instagram to think, "Oh, they have it all together." they're perfect and they're totally wonderful, which you are totally wonderful, but (laughs) depends on the app. (laughs) The freedom that that gives, I think so many women to recognize the heart in their own life and be reminded of the humanity of others on the internet. Thank you. Because I know that that probably was not easy, an easy story to make, but to give us a peek into the reality of life, I think is incredibly fruitful. And I think something that we don't see, like it's easy to have perfectly polished squares and cute little filters and then forget that there are humans behind those who have real stories and real struggles. Yeah. And I don't think that serves anyone. And I talk about that some in the social media chapter, like you are you, you know, you have a unique story to tell. God has done something in your life and is doing something in your life that he's not doing in anyone else's lives. And the world needs to see that story. Like they need to see you with the, the tears and the flaws and whatever your sarcasm your quirks whatever it is and so if we want real you know people are people want communion they want to feel communion with others they want to experience friendship they want to feel connected and you can't be connected to something that's not real something that's fake something that's a mirage you can only be connected to a real human being who's being authentic. And obviously I don't tell the internet all of my problems or all of my issues, (laughs) but what I do tell is always the truth and it's always me. And you know, your friends should always recognize who you are in those squares. And if they don't, um, you're really depriving them of the grace that God wants to bring into the world through you and your story. This ties really beautifully, I think too, into your section on the feminine genius. And you were talking about the struggle with comparison and judging others and then also this desire of belonging that I think so many of us all of us have as humans and you write about this desire to belong and this line struck me and you write most women they're not judging they're too busy feeling judged they don't have time to conclude that you don't belong at mass on Sunday morning because they're too occupied with their own fear of not belonging I promise you nobody thinks about you as much as you do um, that last line kicked me in the butt in a good way. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, dang, I'm not as interesting as I thought I was. <laughs> right? <laughs> Why is everyone not thinking about me obsessively all the time? <laughs> we all wrestle with this, though. This idea of not belonging, <laughs> total loneliness. How do we draw together as mo- in moments like that instead of giving into the, tempta- the temptation? You put it really beautifully in this book to turn in on ourselves and just focus on our own hurts, our own shortcomings. What, what does that look like in our daily lives as Catholic women? You know, C.S. Lewis talks about how the quickest way to acquire a virtue is to fake it. So 
if you want to be kind, even if you're not feeling particularly kind, you act kind. If you want to be merciful, even if you're not feeling particularly merciful, you act merciful. And I think it works a little bit like that. Um, you you go out of yourself even when you're nervous, even when you're scared, even when you're focused on something and you focus on someone else. You invite someone who you wouldn't normally talk to to come into your home. You know, maybe if you're single, you invite the married woman with the four kids. If you're married with four kids, invite the single woman. Don't worry about being judged. Don't worry what they think about your house or the fact that you don't have babies, that you have so many babies. Like just invite that person in and love them and ask them questions about themselves and learn their story. And one of the blessings of being an older mom is that I've I've watched so many friends go through this over the years. And I've learned that you know, I've just gotten to see how everybody is struggling. <laughs> so I never presume anymore that I'm the only one having a hard time or I'm the only one who is feeling insecure. I just assume everyone is feeling insecure and having a hard time. And that makes it so much easier to let go of my own of my own concerns and focus on the other person. So you just really fake reaching out until it becomes a natural thing. Because when you do reach out, you find out these stories and you find out how much somebody is struggling. You find out how insecure someone is. And that just enables you to be like, oh, what was I so worried about to begin with? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it just shifts the way we interact with others, too, when we when we assume both maximum generosity in our interactions with them, but also assume that, that they are going through something hard. How so often that when we find out something that someone's really wrestling with and they're vulnerable and trust us with that, how much that changes the way that we interact with them because we know more about them. We know their story. We know the reality of it versus maybe things that we assumed or projected onto their life. Yeah. Everybody's struggling. Like nobody gets out of this life without a whole bunch of heavy crosses and you may not see those crosses. They may not seem that heavy to you from the outside, but man, the church does not call this, this world a valley, a veil of tears for nothing. So like life is hard and everybody is struggling. And the more you can remember that and, be compassionate, really working on developing the, the virtue of compassion, the the easier it is to like stop focusing on yourself and be able to focus on others and love them as they need to be loved. As I'm reading through these letters and know your story from previous books, following you on social media, things like that, this theme of surrender, this theme of the present moment of waiting comes through while reading these letters, whether that's a season of singleness um, navigating your relationship with Chris, your husband, encountering infertility, the story of adoptions of your children, which is beautiful to see too, because when you wrote this, did you, you, you guys had not adopted Ellie, right? No. Yeah, we, we hadn't, we didn't. And I was too scared in the writing of it to even mention that there was a possibility of Ellie only in the editing. Did I go back and put a couple of mentions in like the final letters that we might be getting this third baby because yeah, I just, I never thought until Ellie was actually in my arms that she would, that she would be ours. So you don't want to commit those things to a book because you never want to look at the book again and be like, oh, the baby. Yeah. But when I started it, the first half of the book, we didn't even have Beckett. So that's beautiful to see that unfold too, especially now knowing that Ellie is here and that Beckett is here. It's just really beautiful to look back in these letters and see. Yeah, that's the really crazy part. Like a year ago, until like a year ago and a week ago, we had one child. Another line in this book that's beautiful that you talk about is that when we when we think about 
what's ahead or the seasons ahead, which I think is very much a temptation to motherhood. Like, oh, one day these kids are going to grow up and I know it's going to happen and they're going to wipe their own butts and they're going to sleep through the night and it's going to happen. But you write that when we live for the future, this is why you said, this is why living for the future always breeds discontent with the present. A real imperfect present can never compare to an imagined perfect future. How do we stay grounded in a real messy present moment when we're tempted with this desire to be anywhere but the present moment that the Lord's inviting us into? I think one of the things that, because this is a re- has been a real temptation for me. I spent a lot of years waiting for things and waiting becomes a habit of mind. So you're always looking forward to the next thing. You're always looking forward to the next thing. Um, but what has helped me the most, especially over the past several months, the past year, is to realize that, okay, this is going to sound so depressing, but it actually does help. Life is always going to be hard. <laughs> like, I mean, I may get to actually leave the house by myself in two years or three years, but will my mom be alive? Will my dad be alive? Will something have happened to one of my children? Um, you know, what new work problems will have come up? Like life is always hard. Life has always been hard. I look back and I'm like, I thought this, something was hard when I was single. There are wonderful things when I was single but there was also really hard things when I was single, but I was so focused on how great life was going to be when I got married and we were married. And I was like, no, there's wonderful things about marriage, but there's hard things about marriage and you can make your own life harder. So if you're making your own life harder, you want to stop that. But beyond that, I think it's just kind of like, you know what? Valley of tears. Life's hard. I'm just going to enjoy the good things I have right now because it might be harder in two years, <laughs> not easier. We just don't know. Like all we're given, all we're granted is this present moment. Um, and so if we can't learn to see the good and be thankful for what we do have, we're never going to be happy because life is always going to be hard until we're dead and we're with Jesus and then it will be awesome. But we've got some really good things to look forward to. <laughs> yeah. 20, this is what 2020 and 21 do to you. Life's going to be hard until we're dead. So why is everyone so worried about dying? It's going to be great guys. <laughs> like it's finally like we're gonna sleep and rest and eat and drink and not gain weight and talk to people all day long we're not gonna change diapers it's gonna be awesome <laughs> I think what you're talking about too is like that key that gratitude for the present moment because I think it's so easy at least for me to fall into this trap of dress rehearsing disaster this is the worst thing that's you know the worst things possible are gonna come but I think that that the antidote to that is just the gratitude for the things that are now, right? This is how things are now. Right. I never fully appreciated enough my time when I was single. Like I could read a book. I could sit down and I could read a book and, and finish it and not fall asleep. Like after looking reading at one page. <laughs> so, you know, there's, there's gifts in every season. There's gifts in every day. We just have to focus on them. And if we're so busy focusing on the future, we miss what God is doing in the present and asking us to do in the present and giving us in the present. And then you just miss your whole life. And then you might not be able to, you know, not, you might have to change poopy diapers in purgatory. I don't know. Like That's probably what purgatory is. Let's be honest. Explosive poop after explosive poop after explosive poop. What is, I guess a lot of poop in my life right now. Toby's not potty trained. It's just, it's just a lot. Both the boys are teething. There's, I told you, like, I, I mean, you want to talk theology, but I'm like, let's just talk about how to control the smell of diapers in my house. Like that's, Seriously, though. That's a great bigger problem for me right now. There are not enough scented candles. 
in my house. There's, yeah, there's not. There's not. There's not enough plug-in air fresheners. Nope. Just, they don't work. I've gotten to the season of life where when people walk in, I'm like, hello, welcome to my home. It's so glad to have you, et cetera, et cetera. And then they step on my carpet and it literally crunches because I, I just have stopped cleaning up spit up. Emily, I've just stopped. Oh, I'm I've so... given up. That was Beckett. Beckett threw up like four to six times every feed. It was so <sighs> awful. We had to like, we just got rid of our couch after he's finally stopped throwing up because Ellie isn't throwing up. We're like, all right, this needs to go to a toxic waste dump. So. <laughs> Burn it. <laughs> I'm so glad to know that there's like an end of that tunnel. I like, I know there is. I know my, that Ada will not throw up forever and ever, but sometimes I just need to be reminded that she will not. <laughs> Second, like at six months, months, it was like a switch flipped. And then he would maybe throw up <sighs> once a day. And then by eight months, just done. Never, ever. But it was a total sw- switch that had to flip. So you'll get there. You will get there. I know we're we're, we're fascinating everybody right now with her talking about spit up and poop. <laughs> like, I never I never knew that I needed to know that, but now I do. <laughs> this is what happens, folks. It's eight twelve over my time zone, and my coffee's worn out. So here we are. <laughs> I know this is like an impossible question that's kind of unfair for me to throw at you. But if you had to go back and tell twenty five year Emily. Just one thing. You have 45 letters to your 25-year-old self. But if you just had to pick one, what would it be if you just had 30 seconds with her? It's probably the last thing I say in the book. And that is that God loves you. Which, when I was younger, for years, I would get so annoyed when people talk about, say, God loves you. You know, priests would preach in the homily. And I'm like, yeah, I know. We all know that. You said it last week, too. How about you tell people to go to confession or not use contraception or something else nobody's telling them? And I would get all snarky. I was so snarky in my head with the priest. So I'm going to spend lots of time purgatory for that. Um, I just thought it was silly. Like, everyone knows God loves them. But the older I got, I, I realized two things. One, I didn't know God loved me. Like, I thought that I had to earn God's love. I thought that I had to, you know, maybe God loved everybody else, but he expected more of me. And that if I didn't do what he expected of me, that he would, you know, he wasn't going to love me. He would be there. I would have let him down. It was like, I was his employee and he was my employer and I had to please him. And so it was having my children and real, particularly, you know, Toby the, as a first time mom, realizing that more than anything in the world, I wanted Toby to know I loved him and that everything else I wanted him to know. I wanted him to know truth and goodness and beauty. I wanted him to know how to share, (laughs) you know, I wanted him to know not to like fly down the stairs head first, but all of that was because I loved him. Like everything I wanted him to know was rooted in my love for him. And I believe that our love for our children is always a reflection of the father's love for us. Like that desire for me to know, for Toby to know my love God has implanted that in my heart so that I can realize that's what he wants us to know. He wants us to know how much we are loved, whether we succeed or whether we fail, whether we live up to, you know, but whatever it is, he loves us. And when you realize that God loves you, that makes learning and doing everything else um, so much easier because you see how it's all ordered back to love. It's not about rules it's not about god making you know torturing you or making you unhappy you're playing a power game it's just this deep deep abiding love that wants the very best for you just like a mother does for her son yes yeah getting that foundation right changes everything where can listeners pick up a copy of your new book letters to myself from the end of the world and how can they connect with you online 
Uh, they can get copies. Best place, as always, from the Catholic publisher. Catholic publishers need lots of support. Um, and my publisher is the St. Paul Center, and they have publishing, so you can get it from there. But you can also get it from Amazon. You can get it um, from most places online where books are sold. And you can always ask your local Catholic bookstore to sell it, and that way you can support more Catholic businesses. Um, online, pretty much Instagram. I have, I'm, I have a Facebook account, and I have a Twitter account, but I don't. I, I just lurk on Twitter. I just read things. <laughs> don't ever comment. So don't be, there's no, there's no use finding me on Twitter. I might find you and lurk and have my silent thoughts, but I won't actually post anything. <laughs> um, but Instagram, I'm on Instagram a lot. I love Instagram. Instagram is wonderful. It's so yes. Yeah. I deleted my Twitter and every once in a while, my friends will send me screenshots of Twitter. Like, look what you're missing. Like, yeah, but also like, there's a lot of things on there that I don't want to see. So it's so peaceful when you don't engage. Like it's such a great exercise in holding my tongue. Um, I just read and see what people are saying. And so I get great news that way, but it also makes me glad that I'm not on Twitter in a real way. Emily, the question that I have to close out our time is the one that I ask every woman who comes on the podcast. And it's this one. How do you live out the feminine genius in your everyday life as a Catholic woman? You know, I, the feminine genius, I always say boils down to spiritual motherhood. So if, it's not, it's about nourishing and nurturing life and helping people grow in the virtues and, you know, fighting for the little and the weak and the defenseless and being tenacious in prayer. And I, I do it two ways, uh, maybe three ways. I do it through obviously my work as a mother. Uh, I'd like to think of myself as um, do, doing spiritual motherhood on Instagram, on social media. Um, I know I'm kind of everybody's my my followers are younger than me, so I get a lot of like, you're my big sister, you're my aunt. Um, but you know, loving the women who follow me and who I get to interact with as as a, a spiritual mother or an aunt or a sister, I think it's something God has has put on my heart and all of my writing really. And then hospitality. That's probably the charism my husband and I are the most committed to is welcoming people into our home, giving families a place to stay, giving single people a place to stay, um, just always keeping our door open and having people for dinner a lot and just trying to build connections in real life because that's where we're meant to build them. Online is good, but real life is better. That's beautiful. Thanks so much for your time tonight. This has been delightful. It was great talking to you. It was really fun because we've, we've followed each other on Instagram for a long time. So but we've never actually gotten to talk. So that is always wonderful. The more real connection, the better. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Letters to Women podcast. Check out the show notes for my conversation with Emily over at letters to women podcast.com or just scroll down to browse through links to Emily's book, Letters to Myself from the End of the World, as well as her Instagram, which is without a doubt, one of my favorite accounts to follow over there. I have some exciting news for you. EWTN invited me to sit down with Jeanette Williams on her show, Women of Grace, to talk about the new Letters to Women book. You can catch our episodes together on August 1st and August 2nd at noon central time. I had so much fun recording them with her and sharing about the new book, The Feminine Genius, and the letters that 30 women wrote to you inside the covers of Letters to Women, Embracing the Feminine Genius in Everyday Life, which was published by Tan Books. Hit subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single new episode. And if you're an Apple user, it would be really appreciated if you left Letters to Women a quick review and let me know how I'm doing and tell other women why you like the show. Check out all the behind the scenes info over on my Instagram account at letters to women underscore podcast. 
I love diving more into the topics covered in episodes and sharing quotes from the show over there. And I also just love talking to you in the comments and the DMs. That is all I have for today's episode. Until next time, be not afraid.